Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. It's been exactly 100 days since a ball was last kicked in the top flight. A three-month-long break from the game in difficult circumstances for all. But tonight, the English Premier League is back. Aston Villa and Sheffield United is the curtain raiser at 6pm tonight for Project Restarts. The race to stay up is going to be high octane and Aston Villa really don't want to crash and burn out of the Premier League. As for Sheffield United, well, there's a chance they could reach the Champions League. Chris Wilder has done magic things this season. Can he continue after a long layoff? It's master versus apprentice of sorts at the Etihad tonight too, as Mikel Arteta faces off against former colleague Pep Guardiola. Arsenal travel to Manchester City, harbouring European thoughts of their own. City boss Guardiola, however, will be in no mood to hand over bragging rights tonight. We'll preview all the action on today's Football Social Daily. We are the only daily Premier League podcast out there every single day. Between now and the end of the season, there'll be a new podcast to get stuck into. So hit subscribe and you won't miss a beat when it comes to being up to date with the action. My name's Niall. Alongside me on today's show, two gentlemen who I'm sure have never been as excited to watch a midfield battle between John Fleck and Connor Halrahan tonight. Steve McNaughton and Adam Keyworth. Hello, gents. Hello, Niall. You okay? Hello. I'm, I'm good. Back to seven days a week, eh? Feels good to say that. Oh, amazing. Do you know what? I've been dreading the football actually coming back, but I've been really excited for the day we can do a podcast and talk about actual football. Yeah, three months of barrel scraping and transfer gossip. Now we can actually talk about some on-field action, which is great. Don't forget to check out the Sports Social YouTube channel as well. We'll be putting the podcast on YouTube throughout the duration of the remainder of the season. And also check out our new Sports Social website. It's sports-social.co.uk. Comprehensive match previews and match reports, daily team updates, and all the general Premier League news will be updated on that website every single day. So go and check it out. 
Now, I wanted to start today's podcast uh, not actually by talking about on-field action, but off-the-field action and talking about Marcus Rashford, for that matter. We discussed on Monday's Football Social Daily about how impressive he's been with his charity and community work during this pandemic. It's been it's been phenomenal, really. His latest campaign has gripped the headlines. Um, he was campaigning for the government to extend their free school meals scheme. He's actually managed to force the government into doing a U-turn on their original decision. Initially, the government weren't going to extend the school meal scheme, of which 1.3 million children were eligible. Now they've gone back on that plan, and that is all thanks to the campaign of Marcus Rashford, who, by the way, is only 22 years of age. It took him six days of campaigning to, to achieve his goal, which is remarkable stuff. Now, it's not very often that a player who wears the red of United is adulated by... Uh, Manchester City fans uh, across the city of Manchester and even more rarely does that happen with their biggest foes Liverpool and I feel that it's quite apt that we talk about this first as today in you Adam and you Steve we have a City and Liverpool fan so I'll come to you first Steve just how impressed are you with the scale of what Rashford has done particularly as a Liverpool supporter? I think he's an incredible young man. I think, you know, you've just had 22 years of age. He's, he's wise beyond his years, years. And he's shown more empathy in recent times than people in positions of authority have shown probably throughout the whole careers. And he's a real inspiration. And the, the fact that he's took this on, because let's not forget, he's obviously raised over £20 million in money as well. Sure. And for him to almost put his hand up and say to the government, this is wrong, we can't let these kids go without school meals because no child should ever be hungry and it's something that we do need to try and eradicate from society and it's obviously going to be a very slow process to do that but I think if we have a starting point on that, that's got to be good news but he's an incredible guy, he's, he's he comes across really well, he interviews really well when he's speaking to the media, you know, before and after games He's got some personality about him, but let's have it right. He's an absolutely incredible footballer as well. And yeah. I'm really impressed. And I think I've seen some of the Liverpool feeds um, on Twitter saying, you know, there's there's going to be thank you banners made for him and, you know, that are going to be displayed on the cop. And there's he'll, he'll get a stand innovation next time he comes to Anfield and he'll probably get his name sung in, by everyone on the ground as well. And I think that is... I quite like it. I think it's really refreshing that that he can um, you know, pull everyone in the same direction. Obviously, Man City as well, it will come through with Adam. And we need more of this, I think, because they've got a fantastic reach and platform to be able to put out positive messages about people being empathetic, about them being tolerant and about them having a will to help other people. So mm. a million out of 10 for Marcus Rashford, for, his, for, for a footballer, as a man and as a human being, incredible. I suppose building on Steve's message, Keezy, is the fact that doesn't matter who you support, starving kids transcends football, does it not? Yeah, and he's, like Steve said, he's he's shown how humble he is as well. I think one thing that you, you've got to take out of this is he's done this so selflessly. None of this has been about him. It's come from a personal point where he's been through the things that some of the kids that he's trying to help are going through and he just wants to help and he's he's used his platform for, for the good and he didn't need to do this. That's the other thing. He really didn't need to do this. He's put his name on the line. He's 22. He's not even in the peak of his footballing career and no doubt that there'll be some horrible things said about him from certain corners of the press and he's put his neck on the line. He, he's not bothered. He just wants to do it and make a difference and I think even on an even wider point, we've we've now in England got an amazing, a tolerant, 
and quite vocal young group of players who are coming through uh, and still so young. Um, and they really are going to be proper role models, not just as footballers. They're mm. now in a position where they can help shape the the younger generation who are looking up to them as footballers and think, well, they, these guys are, are speaking out for something they believe in and doing something that's really helping. We've seen, even over the past couple of weeks, we've seen Rashford, obviously, with the, the most incredible statement to the government that, in all fairness, they just couldn't, they could never not go through with. They said no, and then he he went at them again. And that was the impressive thing. He did it once, but when they said no, he didn't stop. He carried on, mm. and it worked. We've, we've seen Tyrone Mings come and speak out about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. We've obviously had Sterling again back in the press talking about how... Um, how black coaches are often overlooked and these, these young players and they are young are coming out and, and saying things and, and doing things. And as I said, yes, I think it was yesterday, day before it's proper action. It's not just coming out and doing things because somebody's fed them a line and said, this is good PR. None of this is about PR for the players. It's about actually doing good. And it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. For, for us who idolize him as a, as a man, um, I hate the way he plays against City. He always has a knack of scoring against us. And he is an incredible footballer, but these are good young men. And it's something that I don't think as a as an England fan, and I wouldn't really even class myself as a, a fanatic of the England national team, these are a really likable group. Yeah. And it's really going to help, like I say, with the kids. And that's the most important thing of this. The youngsters growing up are looking at, looking at them, not just at what they're doing on the pitch now, but they're on the front pages as well for the right reasons. And that's, I hope, where they stay. Uh, but it's it's just been incredible throughout this whole awful period in, in our lifetime that footballers were asked to stand up, but they were already doing stuff. You even saw Henderson at Liverpool getting the captains together. And footballers have done more than they ever needed to. Uh, and it's going to carry on. So, yeah, I'm just beyond impressed with especially what Rashford's done. Immense work from Rashford, you have to say. Full credit to him. He's achieved his goal. And the thing is, he's not going to stop, is he? So, I mean, that's that's a, a heartwarming thing to see, um, at the very least, that he's not given up on any of the other situations close to his heart that he really is fighting for. OK, well, one team that are going to be fighting are Aston Villa, because the Premier League season resumes tonight, Wednesday evening. Finally, after three months away and we get some football and Aston Villa take on Sheffield United in the curtain raiser of Project Restart. Now, this is the game in hand for both teams. Steve, Aston Villa, we had, you know, worries about them at the start of the season that they might do the same thing that Fulham did last year, spend a load of money in the summer and crash and burn. Um, they're going to need to win this game in hand against what's been an exceptional Sheffield United team this season in order to really give themselves much of a chance of staying up. Because if you look at some of the teams they've got, still got to face Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Wolves, Arsenal, some big games for them coming up. They really need to kind of hit the ground running on this restart. They do need to hit the ground running and I think it's a really daunting task that Aston Villa have got ahead of them because I think Sheffield United will dispose of them quite comfortably tonight. The thing is with Sheffield United is that they've got a goal to shoot for now. There's not many teams in the Premier League that have something to play for still and Sheffield United will be thinking, whoa, if we can crack this top four and get into the Champions League. I mean, the Champions League football at Bramall Lane 
under Chris Wilder is was unthinkable uh, in in August last year, and mm. you know I think that bodes quite quite badly for Aston Villa. I think they'll have to, even though Sheffield United got beat by Barnsley didn't they last week uh, in a friendly at um, mm. uh, Bramall Lane, I think they'll come out of it like you know full guns blazing, and I think they'll go at Aston Villa, and Aston Villa have fallen into the trap that others have done before them, but yet they still made the same mistake of spending around 120, 130 million pounds trying to consolidate the position in the Premier Premier League. And how many teams has that worked for in the past? Not many. Uh, mm. Fulham being the obviously glaring example when I think they spent about 160 million, didn't they, trying to to do yeah. it? And when you talk about the fixtures that Aston Villa have got coming up with the teams that you mentioned, I can't see them winning any of them games, uh, if, if I'm going to be honest. I think all them teams will probably put them to the sword. And I think even though McGinn coming back is a big, you know, Philippe for them, um, you know, mm. I think, I think Aston Villa will probably go this season and I think that will be catastrophic for them as a club. Mm, they're two points off of safety on the face of the table, Keezy, but when you take into account goal difference, that's a four-goal swing. I mean, I don't see them beating Sheffield United by four goals to really kind of climb themselves out of that position that they're in at the moment. They are in the relegation zone and I know form doesn't really play much of a part because we've had such a long break, but, but before the lockdown period, they had just been smashed 4-0 by Leicester you know, it was their five, fifth consecutive defeat on the spin in all comps. It really is do or die time for Villa, isn't it? Yeah, and I I kind of think Villa and Norwich and Bournemouth and these clubs who are scrapping at the bottom, they might benefit, or I think at least one of those teams will benefit from this break. It's almost a fresh start for them. A lot of these teams got in a really bad rut towards the end of what was the, the actual season. And maybe this break's going to give them a chance to come back out and show something different. But I think Villa having Sheffield United first up isn't a great game. Like like Stacey said, it's not a great start for them um, with the task ahead because Sheffield United have got a lot to play for. If mm-hmm. City's ban doesn't get overturned for the Champions League, they're going to be in with a shout. And if not, I think they'll be very, very happy getting a European spot uh, for the Europa League. So they've got a lot to play for, but... Villa really need to get a result out of this game. I do think there's going to be some upsets in the in the other games. I think we've seen in Germany and other far-flung leagues at the moment that there are being some weird results just because some teams, they don't know how fit the other teams are. You don't know if Villa might come back with a totally new system um, and just shock people. So this game, I think, is is kind of going to be the uh, almost the precursor as to what will happen. If Sheffield United do come out and just walk over Villa like you would imagine they would have done three and a half months ago, then it doesn't set the tone very well. But it's it's a chance for Villa to come back, show something different. They've got John McGinn back, which is a great boost for them because before he was uh, cruelly injured earlier in the season, he was brilliant for them and Villa looked a totally different team. So, But you can't, yeah. you can't throw all of your hopes of staying up on one midfielder I saw I saw that I thought that was really interesting now that you mentioned John McGinn I saw that he's back and available again and if you're an Aston Villa fan you're thinking yes you know that's a really good boost for us when we're trying to stay up in the Premier League but I also saw a comment that went along with it that was Dean Smith is reluctant to throw John McGinn into the mix too soon he doesn't want to risk him or rush him back and I think well I know you're thinking of the players welfare and I'm not saying that John McGinn is a disposable asset he's had a great great season but you're the manager of a football club who have spent a lot of money, who should really be in the top flight anyway. And if you're worried about playing one of your best players because he's, you know, just come back from injury and it costs you a place in the Premier League, 
I mean, that's a really dangerous game to play, is it not? Yeah, I think, but I think we knew that earlier in the season that a lot of these signings just hadn't gelled and it's such a risk to do it. Fulham did it and flopped. Mm-hmm. And it, if Villa could well be in the same boat, but they have got, they've got a chance. The other thing is, and we'll probably talk a bit more about it, about the likes of Sane at City, bringing a player back from that long of an injury, having had like a weird pre-season, it's a risk. It is a real risk that, uh, injuries will crop up again and you don't want to throw John McGinn back in against a, fi- a team like Sheffield United who are physical and quick and risk the injury again. So Villa are in a really precarious position, but they have got a chance, like I say. Some teams, I think, will come back and look totally different to, to the way they did at the start. And Villa could be one of those, but I- I'd be surprised if they if they got anything tonight. Mm, Sheffield United, Steve, I mean, they don't have any real star players. They've signed David McGoldrick, Billy Sharp and Ollie Norwood to new contracts in the last week and a half or so. But between Sharp and McGoldrick, the two strikers, there's three goals between the two of them uh, and all three of them have come from Billy Sharp. So it wasn't ever a case of they have one star man who you know, fired them to to be in sixth and seventh in the Premier League for most of the season. The case has been that they have been a real tight-knit unit that that have gelled, you know, in comparison to Villa, who haven't. The the thing is with Sheffield United, you know, and when Chris Wilder was was getting his teams organised and getting the mindset sorted out for the season started, the expectation of them was was relegation. Uh, Everyone, I think even I said it on the podcast last year that I thought Sheffield United would go straight back down. How wrong was I? So don't ever bet on, you know, rely on me for betting tips or anything but um they, what what the, it's a classic example of players understanding a system that the manager wants to play and and utilizing what skills they do have to make that system really effective sheffield united don't have all the, the star names like i said they spent a lot of money on moose didn't they from from mm-hmm. um uh, the bournemouth. Uh, from bournemouth yeah and um you know, they've just done it. And, you know, we talk about kind of individual players and we talk about players that will fit into a system. Sheffield United is a, is a glowing example of that because they've all just got on the hymn sheet from Dean Henderson right up to the top of the pitch. And they're very difficult to play against. And every team that's played Sheffield United this season has been in a game with them. Um, mm. You know, you know when you've played Sheffield United. And I think credit to Chris Wilder and his team, they've been a breath of fresh air, I think, the, the the it's a great story from the Premier League and and I really hope that the the they do get that European football that they crave because I think Bramall Lane you know quite a small stadium kind of quite tight I will be bouncing if they welcome in the yeah. likes of Valencia and people like that to to Bramall Lane. I think the other thing as well is a, a reminder that we gave months and months ago. Sheffield United play really good football. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of talk earlier in the, oh the stubborn and the stiff and the hard to beat and they don't score many goals they play really good football they play a really odd formation that hasn't been seen much in the Premier League that's thrown a lot of people off um, and teams still can't really find a way around it they haven't really been mm. properly battered by anyone all season the hard to beat but the the way that they play football and the build-up play from the back and the the overlapping centre-halves and mm. you've seen players like Lundstrom this season who your local boy who everyone thought was just going to be like a stern defender. He's probably scored more goals than ever in his career in his first Premier League season. So they've been really good. Chris Wilder isn't like your Sean Dyche, hard to beat, stubborn, stiff. He's tactically really, really strong. So mm. I feel like Steve said, it'd be it'd be an amazing story if they can get into Europe next season. Probably going to be the Europa League, but yeah. what yeah. a season. 
I love the I way think, they counter attack yeah. as well. Yeah. Sheffield United on the counter attack are devastating. Mm. And I think some of the goals, I mean, one game that's just come into my head was that classic against Man United on the Sunday afternoon at, at Bramall Lane <laughs> when they just kind of murdered them on the counter attack and absolutely phenomenal. And I think Wilder, you know, when you take away the usual suspects of, of Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, I think Chris Wilder has got to be a shout manager of the year for me. Yeah, I think you have to say that that's a fair shout. I mean, it's, he's up against it old Chris Wilder with, you know, the likes of Jurgen Klopp doing what he's doing with Liverpool. And, you know, I think even Roy Hodgson's had a good season at Crystal Palace, considering his best bit of business in the summer was keeping hold of Zaha. And yet he's managed to keep Crystal Palace quite comfortably clear of the relegation zone. So there have been some really good managerial performances this season, uh, no less Chris Wilder. And as you say, Keezy, I think at the back, They've been so solid. Only Liverpool have conceded fewer goals this season. Henderson in goal, who's been a revelation. Apart yeah. from, do you know what? Every time someone says Dean Henderson, all I think is him throwing one into his net against Liverpool early this season, <laughs> which yeah, set Jimmy the tone. Honestly, that set the tone for the whole season because yeah. Liverpool never should have won that game, and it's his only proper mistake all season. And, and that there we go. Me up, but he's, only he's been Liverpool excellent. Have conceded fewer goals. It's interesting as well that, that Ollie's come out and said that Dean Henderson will be United and England's number one as well. I mean, you know what? That's a bit of cat amongst the pigeons, that isn't it? You know, because he's kind of coming out and saying, yeah, this lad is going to be our goalkeeper. Yeah, especially when they've given De Gea a contract with 400 grand a week or whatever it might be. So, yeah, that is the cat amongst the pigeons uh, indeed. Well, let's wait and see what happens tonight. Aston Villa versus Sheffield United is a 6pm kickoff at Villa Park. And we'll have a match report for you on the Sports Social website and on our Amazon Alexa and Google Home skills as well. So make sure you get them fired up if you've got a smart speaker at home. Right, time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. But the chat doesn't stop because after this, we'll be discussing Arsenal versus Manchester City and some of the latest news coming out of Newcastle United and Bournemouth. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social, the daily Premier League podcast, keeping you bang up to date with all the latest talking points in the English top flight. And of course, football returns tonight, Wednesday, the 17th of June, 2020. Exactly 100 days since the last ball was kicked in the Premier League. We are back in action. We've spoken about Aston Villa versus Sheffield United. And in a moment, we'll talk about Arsenal versus Manchester City as Mikel Arteta returns to the Etihad for the first time since he left in December. But the first thing I want to talk about is, again, down the bottom end of the table, Keezy, Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth. There's been loads of chance for speculation. We've spoken about him a couple of times during this lockdown period on the podcast. Now, he's wanted a move to Arsenal for a while. For the last 18 months, he's been linked with a move away, more often than not, to the Emirates Stadium. He's been a Bournemouth player for seven years, since 2013. He's been at the club since their rise from League One to the Premier League. He's been part of the furniture at the Vitality Stadium, there's no doubt about it, and he's been one of their better players. However, with the season being extended the way it has been extended, you would have thought that maybe he might have put pen to paper on a short-term deal, considering he's out of contract in the summer, just to help his side stay up and avoid Premier League relegation. Well, Fraser's now refused to put pen to paper on that contract. He won't be playing for any of the remaining games of the season. He's allowed his contract to expire. Now, there are two schools of thought on this one. There's the school of thought that he's protecting himself and a possible big move to a bigger club. And the other one is, where's the loyalty? 
why not give something back to a club that's given so much to you? Which which camp are you in? I mean, I have some sympathy that he's going to get this big move, this talk of Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Liverpool. He's going to get a big move this summer, albeit on a free because he's already run his contract out. That I get that, that he needs to save himself because the worst thing that can happen to him now in his career is he gets a bad injury and he, he ruins his big career move that he's built up for. Mm. However, he was nobody seven years ago. Um, he's come through at Bournemouth. He's been one of their bright stars in the Premier League over the last few years. And it's such a sour note to go out on. Sure. He could have gone last season for 20-odd million, but decided to run his contract down and do one more year at Bournemouth. The other four players who are going to be out of contract at Bournemouth have signed on to the yep. end of the season. They've all said, yeah, we're in it for the course. Bournemouth have a good chance of getting out of this. And to have one, arguably their best player, their most productive player, to say no to just finishing the season, trying to get that club that have given him everything out of the position they're in, it's just going to burn all bridges. It's going to burn you bridges with the club and the fans. And the other thing is, it almost tarnishes his reputation going to a new club. The new club are looking at him going, well, he's, he's kind of just binned his old club. So what's he going to do here? It, it just, it's a sad thing to do, I think. You don't want a player who's given so much and who the fans have adored and a club who gave him such a big chance in the Premier League, because that Bournemouth side, when they came up, were, they looked awful yeah. on paper. And Eddie Howe and the players have got them into an incredible position where they've just been a consistent top-flight side, getting good results. Now to just say, you know what, sack it off. The, it's got too hot in here for me, I'm out. Mm. It just leaves a sour taste. And it's a shame, I think, for him. It's a, it's a real shame for the club. If I was a fan, I'd be absolutely furious. Mm. Um I don't think this is going to go down well. And just typing his name into Twitter, it's not, <laughs> not pleasant. So, yeah, a bit silly for me. He's been there since he was 19, Steve, and he's now 26. And I suppose his thoughts would be, I'm coming into the prime and the peak of my career. It was last season, really, and, and half of the season before that, which he really did impress. I mean, I think he had he was up there with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson as some of the highest assist makers in the Premier League. He had a really great campaign. And Bournemouth generally are said to play a decent brand of football. You know, he's, he's diminutive. He's five foot four. They call him wee man down there at Bournemouth um, just because of his small stature. He's a Scotland international. He does have a lot of things going for him, there's no doubt. But my question is, is he is he really that much better than Bournemouth? Is he is he really that good? I mean, talk of a move to Arsenal. I mean, I, I don't think he's getting an Arsenal squad. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just a personal opinion. And people might say, I have a vendetta against Bournemouth. Not the case. I just don't think Ryan Fraser's as good as people hype him up to be sometimes. First and foremost, your vendetta's against Southampton, not Bournemouth. <laughs> uh, as we know, I'm sure Keezy will uh, you know, uh, attest to that. But uh, we, we've talked about it on the podcast. Now, th- there's loads of different offshoots of this. Now, the first one is that I think it's not a good look for him, you know, to be able to kind of down tools in this in this respect. It's a situation where he could have signed on for another four weeks with Bournemouth while we get these games out of the way and not have had any impact on his next move. He must have something lined up. That's why he's doing it. But we talked about the impact he would make and who would who's likely to sign him. I only think there's probably Arsenal or Tottenham who are likely to sign him because I don't think he gets in the other uh, you know, teams. Uh, I don't think he gets in the City team. I don't think he gets in the Liverpool team. I don't think he gets in the um, uh, the Chelsea team, you know, with the business that they're doing at the minute. So I think he's he's got to accept he's going to be a squad player at one of these bigger clubs than Bournemouth that he goes to because I just don't think he's going to make that much of an impact anywhere. I don't think 
when I heard his name mentioned, I think, oh my God, such and such a body, you're going to have to do a really good piece of business, bringing Ryan, Ryan Fraser in. It's just one of them transfers where I think, mm, mm. fair enough. Right, you know, mm. But loyalty is everything. I think there's certain managers in the, in the Premier League and you know, just from our teams that are on the podcast, it's a massive red flag for the likes of Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp a player behaving like that because they just, they just won't tolerate stuff like that. And mm. I just think that... He might have shot himself in the foot a little bit because I think some clubs might actually look at it and go, actually, this guy's attitude and loyalty is a bit questionable. Mm. Ryan Fraser won't be playing for Bournemouth again for the rest of this season, maybe ever. So uh, it would be a sad farewell for the man who's been at the Cherry since 2013. So we'll have to wait and see where he ends up in the summer. Also, some news which broke this morning was that Newcastle United have received a fresh bid for the takeover of the football club. Now, everyone knows that this deal between Newcastle and uh, a Saudi-backed consortium has been in the pipeline, in the works since before lockdown started. I mean, the initial Premier League owners and directors test was supposed to start in April. We're now in the middle of June and nobody knows what's going on with it. So with the sort of lull in activity at Newcastle United, everyone kind of got a little bit concerned that things might fall through. Now, Henry Morris, who's a US TV media mogul, has submitted a £350 million bid to Mike Ashley, according to reports, to take over the club. And he wants the acquisition to be completed by the beginning of next season. Now, there are two facets to this for me, Steve. The first one is the bid is £50 million more valuable than the one submitted by the Saudis. And secondly, I think you'll probably find with Henry Morris, who no one knows too much about, that the takeover fuss would be a lot less with him than it has been with the Saudis, who on Tuesday were condemned quite badly by the World Trade Organization for their part that they played in illegal pirate broadcasting of football matches, which, of course, the Premier League will certainly have an interest in. So this is kind of another spanner in the works for those Newcastle fans who have been waiting so patiently. Yeah, it's just another act in the whole circus, isn't it, really, that that is Newcastle (laughs) United. Now, I know that we've got presenters and we've got you know, uh, fans that listen to us from Newcastle. And I do have a, a bit of affection for Newcastle. I think there's quite a lot of links with my team and, and certainly transfers and stuff like that. But the thing, nothing's straightforward at Newcastle, is it? Everything's right. always a drama. And I think, you know, if, if, if I tackle the, uh, the, the, the Saudis uh, first and the, and the proposed takeover of that, the longer this goes on, the grimmer it's looking, isn't it? And like you said on, on Tuesday, the WTO have come out and said, legitimately we've got some major concerns about their track record with piracy that's going to cost the premier league millions upon millions of pounds in lost revenue over the years so i can't see them signing off on that like i say every bet i put on i'm wrong but i just think <laughs> that i just can't see them going you know effectively they've cheated us out this money for a, a prolonged amount of period um i just think this guy coming in and trying to usurp them if you like with an extra 50 million i think that seat is a bit dramatic, it being £50 million extra. And I'm not sure how the valuation has changed in a short space of time and no football's being played. Um, but it's just all part of the fabric of being involved with Newcastle United and mm. nothing's easy. Mike Ashley is desperate to sell the club. And um, I think it's, again, I keep saying watch this space where Newcastle are concerned because we're just going to get an update one day that says it's fell through and then a takeover will go through. And I think at least one thing that Mike Ashley will take uh, pleasure from is that he appears to have options now, uh, Mm. which he's not had for a long time. And if this guy is serious about coming in and buying Newcastle and pumping the money into a club that has massively underachieved for decades and upon decades, 
Um, fair play to him. He seems like a bit of a better fit for it. And I think if he comes and he's got a bit of a cleaner record, i.e. he's not ripped the Premier League off a of broadcast revenue for a long time, <laughs> I think they'll probably take that. And I think Newcastle will at that point where they just want someone to come in who genuinely cares about the football club, who will pump money in so they can be competitive in the transfer market, not go out and spend £100 million on players, but just be competitive and work their way up the league and try and finish in them Europa League places at some point in the next three or four seasons. But it's just, I don't know which way it's going to go. I think, you know, the takeover from Saudi Arabia is, is looking, uh, I think, on the brink of, of, of falling through. And um, we've got a mysterious new player that's entered the market. And I think hopefully Newcastle will get this resolved for the fans and everyone connected with the club sooner rather than later. They are a great football club. There's no doubt about it. I think everyone kind of has a soft spot for Newcastle United and wants them to do well. But this month, Keezy marks 13 years since Mike Ashley took control of Newcastle United. The club's been up for sale for two to three of those years. He's been happy to wait and to bide his time until the right offer has come along. Now, obviously, with the things that have happened uh, in terms of the coronavirus pandemic, it felt like £300 million was still a very, very good offer for a football club at a time when pretty much everyone's going to be cash-strapped. Mike Ashley, he's very notorious for pinching the pennies, and I'm sure he's going to feel the pinch as well himself with everything that's going on in the world right now financially. So when you see someone weighed in with a £350 million offer... £50 million more than what you were expecting beforehand and you're kind of this notorious money lover (laughs) for want of a better term Um, you're definitely going to be attracted to that prospect are you not? Yeah and like like Steve said it's another saga in an ongoing nightmare for Newcastle fans I think the sad thing if you're a Newcastle fan now is you you were almost um you had this Saudi takeover with billions of pounds worth of spending money attached. Uh, You're already planning on signing Mbappe and Messi and everyone else who comes with it. And now you've got uh, this Henry, Henry Morris guy who's come in um, and he's a bit of an unknown. You don't know where he's come from, what money he's going to have to spend, but apparently he does have, billions of pounds worth of cash to spend. And he also doesn't have the stigma of the Saudi consortium uh, attached to him, which might be a, a more preferable option now. So I think if, I think Mike Ashley will just take any money. He doesn't care where it comes from. He just wants rid. And I think at this point, Newcastle just want anyone to come in. So mm. this might, this for me seems like a more sensible fit because you you can cut out the, the Saudi ties, which is going to kind of taint, taint any takeover from some people anyway. Um, and if you can just kind of avoid that, then this seems like a happy medium, um, especially after we found out about all this piracy issues that might actually make the Saudi uh, buyout fall through anyway. So fair play if this if this mm. bid is real and and it all adds up and he's got the money to spend. Mike Ashley is just going to yeah he's he's just going to shake his hand and say thank you very much and is Newcastle there, is, have a new owner. Is there a quick argument though to suggest that maybe? Mike Ashley might have called on some of his buddies to kind of lodge a bid to push this Saudi deal through because the Saudi deal has been in the pipeline for ages. I mean, I don't, I'm not suggesting any underhandedness there here, but I mean, it's a classic business tactic that we've seen Ashley use before where all of a sudden lots of bids come in at once and it's kind of come on then. Who's offering me the biggest deal? Yeah, there, there will be that worry. And the cynic in me thought the same thing this morning. Um, if he already has ties to Ashley, then it stinks really of a... Right, we'll put this bid in and then we'll hurry the others along. But 
if not, and I hope it's not the case, then I hope this just gets resolved quite quickly and it's just a more preferable option, isn't it? I think this suits the Premier League, though, if I'm going to be honest. I think that if the Premier League are going, we don't want to clear this deal because of the piracy situation, before we even start on human rights or anything like that and the track record that's gone before it, someone else coming into the market is a good thing for the Premier League because they've mm. got another option they can go mm. with. So I don't think that if Mike Ashley is trying to, to rush this through and put a bit of pressure on the Premier League to rubber stamp it, I think the Premier League would turn around and say, well, hold on a minute, you've got a guy who's offered £50 million more, uh, who has a better, if you like, track record on various mm. things. Mm. We'd prefer you to pursue this option. So I think if he did employ that tactic, it could probably blow up in his face. Mm, yeah, definitely. Some risks to be taken by several parties involved in this. The Premier League would be taking a risk you'd feel if they let the Saudis through, but also at the same time, Mike Ashley might be taking a risk by deciding to go against them. So we'll have to wait and see, as always, what happens with Newcastle United. Right, now, finally, before we close down today's podcast, we need to talk about the later kickoff this evening, 8.15 at the Etihad Stadium. Behind closed doors, of course, as will all the games be between now and the end of the campaign. Arsenal are the visitors. Arsenal still harbouring hopes of European finish themselves. Manchester City almost guaranteed to finish in the Champions League spots. Whether they end up playing Champions League football next season is, of course, relative to... You think so? Relative to the outcome of the Champions League, uh, the court case against UEFA, rather, uh, which has taken place at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Now, the main focus on this game, Keezy, is not so much Arsenal possibly getting into Europe Manchester City possibly finishing second. It seems to be Mikel Arteta, the understudy, coming back to the Etihad Stadium to take on the old master Pep Guardiola. Um, is that quite a tasty narrative from a City perspective? I think the whole thing is it's almost poetic in the way that I know this is no disrespect to Villa versus Sheffield United, but <laughs> people are people are looking at City Arsenal. This is the big curtain raiser for the Premier League coming back for you, like your more gen- generic viewer who will watch the big bigger clubs. Um, and it's 98 days ago today that um, City were meant to play Arsenal and it got postponed because of Arteta's uh, coronavirus uh, positive test. So it's almost a nice way of it coming back that that would have been the game. So this is a way of bringing it back. And they are best of friends. They, they have the most incredible respect for each other um, professionally and then personally, they're really close friends. Arteta was brilliant at City. He he was almost responsible for some of the, the great things that we achieved over the years that he was there under Pep. There were games where uh, Arteta was making match-winning decisions on the bench, and Pep has talked about that, uh, be it a corner routine that's that's come off and we've mm. nicked the three points. He was, he was pivotal to our success. So it's going to be nice to see him go up against Pep, and I think it's going to be the first of many times that they come up against each other. He's a very, very good coach, Arteta. The Arsenal players speak incredibly highly of him. The fans are, are absolutely loving it with him there. It's a great narrative. Um, and I th- I think it's kind of the only narrative because there's no form going into this. As Pep said, really honestly and almost too openly, he's no idea how fit the Arsenal team is. And he just about knows how fit his team are. So this, this opening game, I said to you now before we start recording, it could honestly be anything. This could be City turn them over because uh, the the sharper Arsenal might be sharper. They might play younger players who are fitter and just have the ability. It's going to be a really interesting fixture, I think, to watch. I'm fascinated by it. I've had my opinions on uh, whether I think football should come back and I'm probably more in the camp of I'd, 
I'm not really that bothered because if I can't go and watch this game tonight at the Etihad, then me sitting on my sofa watching it, I don't have much interest in it. But it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. Mm. Um, the game itself could, like I say, it could honestly go either way. I have no idea what to expect. Um, City have now got a new assistant as well. That's another thing to touch on. That Arteta's been and gone. We had uh, Rodolfo Burrell, uh, almost the understudy for a while, and now he's brought in Juan Marlilo, who he used to work with and he looks up to. Pep has a few managers who he's looked up to to become the manager that he is, and uh, Leo is one of them. So he looks a bit of a, fra- a firecracker as well. So he could be quite interesting. I imagine even in the week that he's been there, he's brought some new ideas. So it's going to be really interesting. I really like Arteta. I hope he, he does very well wherever he goes now. Um, just not tonight. Tonight, I, I, could do, <laughs> I could do without this being the the bounce that you can see it being. Um, but it's nice. It's nice to see two managers who genuinely really, really like each other. Um, both have learned from each other and we'll see how much Arteta really has learned from Pep tonight. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we've said before, Steve, that Mikel Arteta in his first stab at management has been impressive. He's only lost two games out of his 15 as Arsenal boss so far. Although one of them was quite a crushing blow in the Europa League against Olympiacos. The other one was against Chelsea and, you know, losing a London derby and a team of the quality of Chelsea. There's no embarrassment in that. So I still think that there is some work to be done at at the Arsenal. But um, I do think that, to be fair, um, he's got a chance of being a success over at the Emirates. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I just echo everything that, that Keezy's just said. He's a fantastic man, a fantastic tactician. And it's great that he's got this big opportunity at a big football club like Arsenal. And I'm, I've been really impressed with him. I think Arsenal have started playing a better standard of football. I think he comes across really well in the media. I'd be interested how he gets on with a transfer window. Um a normal transfer window, shall we say, one that's not been affected by yeah. a global pandemic. But I think Arsenal are very fortunate to have Arteta. I think they've got a really good manager that can be there for five or six seasons and put proper foundations in place, change the whole ethos of the club. And like, like Adam said, you know, tonight is fascinating. I think it's a tough one because I, I, I'm looking at it from the outside, whereas obviously there's an emotional attachment uh, for Adam to, to the game tonight because he's a Man City fan. But I don't think City will have any problems with Arsenal tonight. I think they'll be too sharp for them. I think Pep's got a fully fit squad for the first time in however long. I mean, Adam would be able to tell you how the last time that Pep had a fully fit squad. But I think it all bodes well for Man City and I think they'll come out at pace with them. I think the five substitutes and, and the water breaks will be a, a big factor as well. And I just think they'll, they'll sweep Arsenal aside, unfortunately. I think I'm going to go for 3-1 to City tonight. I think, Bersley, you, you're right on the fact that I think we've seen it in Germany that the good teams have really stood out because they are better footballers and without the crowd without the fans to kind of help the other teams. And they do. They've obviously had an effect. You've seen on the home home games, there's less teams winning the home games than there was before. I just think that on paper, City have better players technically. And if those players turn up, and it's, it's all going to be about fitness as well. Um, having a proper fit squad, like you say, City have got the, a full squad for the first time in over a year. Sane hasn't played a single game this season in any competition. Laporte's been out for most of the season, just about finding his way back. De Bruyne has been out for a little spell. So it's good to have the team back. I don't think we'll see the likes of Sane tonight. Um, 
I don't I think it would be stupid to throw him back in. I know that he's he's definitely gone in the summer, but it would be very, very silly just to throw him back in and expect the world from him at the minute. But I think we'll definitely see Foden and a couple of others uh, from the youth setup uh, coming into the squad. He's drafted in four or five that have been playing in the the friendlies and in training that you might not have seen before, but will definitely have the legs and the drive to to get this kind of over the line. City season is a bit weird now. Liverpool need six points, maybe three if City cock it up tonight, which wouldn't put it past us. And all eyes will be on the Champions League. Um, yeah. So a lot of it, I think, I think in Premier League games, you'll see, weirdly, I think you'll see some of the bigger players rested mm. for some of the games, just because he's really going to want to go and win that mini tournament Champions League now. So strange game to start off with. I think on paper, City have the better squad. I do think Arsenal have a lot to play for, so they'll be bang up for it as well. And I, I hope City's fitness just sees them through, but I, I can see there being goals. I reckon I'm going to stick my neck out and go 4-2 to City. That'd be interesting. But I think what's quite... I, I've always said I've got a funny feeling for City in the Champions League this season, mm. especially with the backdrop that's going on. And I think that Pep will be going have an eye on Lisbon and going, right, listen, if we can kind of get through three games in Lisbon over the space of whatever period they're going to do it. I think that's going to be his focus now. And I just think there is a chance to see some of these exciting youngsters at Man City have got like your Phil Foden's, like your Garcia's at the back and people like that. Because, you know, I mean, he might start with Garcia tonight. He might fancy, you know, Garcia getting a game. But I think um, I expect the energy levels to drop after 70 minutes tonight. I think the lads have probably got 70 minutes in them at a decent pace um, and a decent tempo. But I think as we've seen in the Bundesliga, on that first game, that the game will dramatically slow down, uh, especially if there's goals that put City out of sight. But as a Liverpool fan, I obviously want Arsenal to get a draw or a win tonight because obviously that then makes uh, Sunday in the derby at Goodison Park, uh, you know, an even more of a spectacle. But I just can't yeah. see City not doing it tonight. I think, you know, man for man, at pretty much every position, they're too strong for Arsenal. Even with Arteta's insight into Man City, what goes on there, how Pep's likely to set them up. I just think the quality of Man City will be too be too big for them. Imagine that, the eyes of the world watching the Premier League again for the first time in three months and it's a good old nil-nil. You just know it's going to happen, don't you? It's written in the stars that it's going to be a nil-nil. Two nil-nils in the row. Uh, it's just going to happen, you can just tell. Uh, anyway, this has been Football Social Daily for today. Thanks very much, Adam. Thanks very much, Steve. Don't forget to check out the website sport-social.co.uk. It's a brand new website with loads of audio updates, match previews, match reports. We'll be covering every single Premier League game. And we'll also be doing a podcast every single day of the rest of the season. So if you're new around here and you've only listened to a couple of episodes during lockdown, we are the only daily Premier League podcast. It does feel so good to say that again. So hit subscribe however you listen to your podcasts and you'll never miss another show. So that's it for today's episode and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats.